Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures podcast. It's for our clients, for investors, for our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis and leadership, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. So what is a thesis statement in the context of investing? Well, it would seem reasonable to think that if I was going to make an investment, I'd have a view on why the investment will do well, and I would have some idea of the evidence I would look for to prove or disprove this view as time goes by, similar to um, or taking from the scientific method. And this is our best effort as investors at a testable hypothesis. So if you find sometimes that your work is maybe voluminous but unfocused or the communication on your team or between analysts and portfolio managers is a little bit muddy and you can't figure out why, working on the process of a thesis statement can be a good place to start. In this episode, we'll go into the process we use to sharpen up our thesis statements. They were a little unwieldy at first. And this process let us get clearer on what really mattered, like strengthen the signal and quiet down the noise. And importantly, it provided a roadmap for analysts that let us use our time far more precisely. So we include some examples in this episode so you can see how it works. And I hope you enjoy it. So Pip, I think this is sort of like a, what would you take, or no, if you were stranded on a desert island, what three things would you take with you? Because you've made this bold statement that um, if there was one piece that you could have at your disposal to you know, offer to clients, it would be about thesis statements. And why is that? Why is this your desert island piece? Well, after I have my jar of peanut butter, of course, on my desert island, in addition to that, I'd, I'd like to- um, Do you have water too? Because <laughs> if you have peanut butter, you really need- Oh yeah, otherwise my tongue will be on the with my roof of my mouth thing like a dog. That wouldn't be very good at all. What I said, so we've done 275 different process pieces that, that we think are useful in our library, but an investment thesis or business thesis, what, which we're more focusing on today, that by far would be the, the first thing that I'd want for a bunch of reasons, which I'll get in a second. And then a predetermined game plan would be my second choice. But the investment thesis or the business thesis, I actually wrote in a piece, I wrote my thesis about why I'd use a business thesis. And it goes something like this. The process of creating and the existence of a crisp, testable 125 word maximum business thesis, one, allows the creator to gain clarity of what matters the most in forecasting the future of a business. And two, its scientific geared methodology allows one to escape the grip of emotional and psychological baggage and self-sabotage. From such clarity, three, we easily distinguish signal and noise. This helps us avoid the entanglement of noise and massive amounts of wasted energy and time, especially at earnings results. Four, the clarity of a thesis also informs our next research path. With all this in mind, a great business thesis, five, can underpin exceptional communication in a team and heighten advancing conversations while eliminating swirl. 
So those are the things mm -hmm. that I'm after. That was even just the signal to noise ratio and heightening that would be so valuable. So one of the characteristics of a thesis statement that has really helped me is that um, we've said it's a model of reality, but it's not itself reality. So it's, it is truly a you know, hypothesis on what you think is happening with a company and why it will work out as an investment. And I've always loved that, you know, you mentioned testable as one of those key attributes. And testable in this um, framework is really different than science, um, but at least it gives you something to hit up against when you get new information. I'd like to add a couple quick things. One is our industry, while it's filled with an immense deductive power, similar to science, uh, has habituated towards anti-science and almost artistry. So what I'd describe is what passes for an investment thesis is normally a bag of melted caramels. And it'll sound some like, and, and the sell side will throw these out like, oh, what's your thesis? And they're particularly um, making matters worse, let's say, because they will throw out a bunch of stuff like, oh, well, you know, the company is, um, it has new products that it's going to release and they're going to be having an analyst day and the stock usually performs pretty well in the fourth quarter, like five of the last seven years, it's really done well. And it's not really giving you an investment thesis. And it's that's mixing up a few different attributes. That's something that's happening near term mixed with some security analysis and technical analysis mixed with opinion <laughs> that was maybe guided by the company. So is that what you mean by <laughs> bag of melted caramels? It's, they're actually just foisting a lot of thoughts on you, but it's not yeah. a thesis statement, whether it, it's it, a sell side or, or an analyst or your colleague. Yeah, it's thought foisting, I think, when it comes down to it. Yeah. And it results in, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. And that's not a thesis. So a thesis is something that says, because of this, this is what's happening in the world. Because of that, this next thing's going to happen. And because of that, the next thing's going to happen. So it's, it's lined up like a hypothesis from, you know, eighth grade science class. And instead, our history in our in our industry is more about storytelling and is loaded with near-term fast money trading get attention get people's attention whereas an investment thesis or business thesis often can at its core you know be fairly maintained for a long time while around the edge is definitely still being dynamic which i like it's meant to be dynamic but the core of it is is pretty solid um, I want to make a point there because the core, you mentioned predetermined game plans. So we're just talking about the thesis statement in this conversation, but I think it is important context to know that we use the thesis statement in partnership with the predetermined game plan where there is some more detail. There are some sort of supportive questions or um, mm -hmm. thoughts underneath it, but right now we're really just focused on the thesis statement um, because as you said, that is a process in itself of giving getting it to a very clear and helpful thesis statement. Can you talk about how that, um, the evolution of a thesis statement and what you learned, um, even just kind of in the observation of the team 
as we worked on these over time because we started out with thesis statements that were different than they you know five years ago than recently yeah and i think the piece that we just put out that um you know, Dan did a lot of work and we're going to provide some examples of things we did well and things we did poorly uh, leads towards that. Ultimately, I think, Bryn, what was, was neat was if you get 125 words, you're really in a competition for words inside of a competition for capital. And so it's getting the habit of fairly early on doing a working draft thesis. And we'll give an example of Netflix in a little bit, a working draft of that thesis and then it gets sharper and sharper and you start to get more convinced that every word in fact does carry a lot of power. Um, and the, the test for me is with alter a thesis, as one question is, well, when you alter a thesis, how do you know what to add and what to get rid of? And I think if, if you were to take something out, a line, a sentence, would that materially alter your conviction about the future cash flows and if not, it does not belong in the thesis. It's a nice to have, it's descriptive, but it's not to play off the word that's very popular now. It's not essential. Meanwhile, if you added a word or you added a sentence, does that significantly alter your thinking about being able to predict the future of this company and its cash flows? Um, and I would really like uh, pouring over with you and the others pouring over a thesis statement can be so illuminating by concentrating deep down into every word. Uh, one of the phrases we use is, you know, sometimes it pays to go slow in order to later go fast. I think the long-term annuity of slowing down to get to your 125 words is just incredible. I think it's one of the best time paybacks that there is. Here's where I think it gets really interesting. Um, and I'm all for certain types of constraints. This one, you know, when an argument gets complex, and as the analyst, I would be pretty deep into the story of, um, you know, kind of surrounding a thesis. And when it got multi-layered, when there were many, many branches of the argument, to me, that seemed like it was tightening it up and making it really um, informative and helpful. But one thing you would point out is that well, our tendency, and this is right out of the book of, you know, investment biases, our tendency is then to equal weight each one of those arguments. So which one is important? <laughs> like, which is the thing that is going to get us to that leverage where we really understand um, where the monumental change is with this company or the sector that it's in? I was uh, just thinking yesterday about my, my, one of my first mentors, Ed. I was all excited about this, this piece that I'd done. This is like 1994 and I give it to him. And he said, very quickly, he said, you have to, first was you have to put all of the key points on one page. You can have as many appendices as you want. I still remember where I was standing. You can have as many appendices as you want, but the key point has to be on one single page. And so my single page, unfortunately had like seven points. And he said, usually stocks go up because of one reason. Now, I'm not sure if that's always true and their support and all that, but if a stock goes up a lot, it's probably for one reason or two reasons, not seven. This, in a slightly different context, just today I was reading a pitch for a small company and they had a slide that had a list of all the benefits to the user. 
and it was many, many bullet points. Let me say that. And my conclusion may be a quick conclusion, but to your point was they don't know what their benefit is. If it's yeah. 25 things, <laughs> then I don't think this company knows what their benefit is. And so I think as analysts, sometimes we get into that. Oh, there's so many benefits. There's so many good, right things going on. Well, let's just challenge ourselves to say, well, what is the, let's can we at least just start get, by getting it down to three. And then the other thing that happens is that when this kind of goes to that slide, let's say it's now a thesis statement and it's many, it's very long and it does have these many branches of the argument, it doesn't come across as um, clean and reasonable and as high conviction as you may think it does as the analyst. Um, and so that gets into that point, Pip, about um, communication on the team. It's really great when a portfolio manager can remember really clearly and cleanly what the thesis is on a certain company that helps the portfolio manager do her job better and the analysts that they can be in sync. Um, and I, so I think that's, that's maybe a second derivative kind of benefit of this thesis statement process. They, they like to say, uh, talk about elevator pitches. And there's something valuable about elevator pitch. It gets down to the essential. Or in Hollywood, I always like descriptions of movies. It's like Star Wars met Gone with the Wind or whatever it is. Like it gives someone an image of, okay, that's where you're going. There's a Mark Twain quote that I love. And I finally checked it out. And, and I was saying it wrong for a long time. The quote is, I have made this, it was about a letter he had written. I have made this longer than usual because I have not had time to make it shorter. <laughs> and so he was recognizing that this may be hard on you, but I didn't have time. <laughs> so um, I, I like that a lot. Um, Dan also has the phrase that sometimes a thesis doesn't have confidence in itself. <laughs> and I like to say, well, it's nice for me to blame that on the thesis as if it's like an entity to itself. But if I've created that thesis and it's got six points and or 10 priorities or whatever, yeah, chances are I don't have confidence. I love that. That's what, that's I, I can picture Dan saying that. A great investment thesis, I don't think, is determined by whether it turned out to be right or wrong. Um, it's does it perform all those four or five functions of those benefits? Do we get these super benefits of clarity, communication, and identification of noise? Now, systematically, it's meant to have us be right more often than wrong. So we're going to give some examples where it's not to be confused that we're saying this was a good thesis because uh, it turned out right, because uh, we'll also give a couple that, you know, the thesis was terrible. Um, so here's the one that we had in 2012, Google's business thesis was, I'm reading from our old pieces. Google is one of four major digital economy platforms along with Apple, Amazon, and Facebook will continue to benefit as search grows ever more into an institutional imperative for marketers to advertise online. These powerful elements and an incredibly powerful business model will mask the company's cultural flaws and weak management, which could allow an unnecessarily wide scope of activities and expenses for another few years. Dan first points out in doing a little he says, you know what, um, that was pretty good, but most of the, that was 70 words, by the way, grand total of 70, not even close to the 125 limit. Mm -hmm. Dan said, you know what, a lot of that was actually noise. <laughs> like that whole last part about 
me kind of saying I didn't like the management. So we, he said, you know, it could have just been Google, one of four major digital economy platforms will continue to benefit as search keeps growing into an institutional imperative for marketers to advertise online. Mm. Like, boom. And that would still be probably pretty close to reality nine years later. Mm. Um, one thing that I, we noted is at the time and in the year after, there were a bunch of things going on with Google. Mm-hmm. And one of them was they bought Motorola. Another was there was controversy if Facebook would steal Google's market. Uh, third one was whether the shift to mobile from desktop would erode the competitive advantage. Another was <laughs> what are they going to do with YouTube? That's great. And another one, this one is really good, would Bing undermine Google's course? Oh, that's, yep. that's awesome. That's something. <laughs> and and, you know, even like a year later, none of those really mattered, sort of, et cetera. Right. And to our credit, because we had this North Star business thesis, we didn't spend any time on these. Actually, Bryn, I, oh. I did remember I had a bad vibe when I was trying to, so I was going to take a week off with no BlackBerry and I put it in my envelope and I sealed it. Yeah, and right. then I went to the general store and I saw on the cover of the newspaper that Google had bought Motorola and it ruined five, five hours of my holiday. Yeah. But I want to point out that those, the key debates, um, the, the being the YouTube, et cetera, uh, that's where the predetermined game plan comes into play. So those are very appropriate questions to have underneath this thesis. And yes. they were in play at the time. So it's great for an analyst to have those questions that to the point on signal and noise, these things work in tandem. And we'll talk more about that on a different episode, but I didn't want to suggest that if it doesn't fit in the thesis, um, it's a waste of time. These things no, they, I think, at the time, they were pretty active research questions for. I think they were, they were interesting. They were active by gaining strength and confidence in the core of what is Google, then it could help us get through that. Like it didn't really matter about YouTube because Google itself was going to be so incredibly profitable. Um, the Bing question was a weird question. The mobile question was a weird question. The Facebook question was sort of a weird question because Wall Street always likes to reduce to a winner and a loser. So um, there's a lot of work behind to get to the thesis to then have confidence. So like internalized, you have a, a bit of a North Star. And these are sort of like the first order questions that an analyst might come up with after kind of scouring the, yeah. the recent news, et cetera. So that's a really important point. A lot of what's out there on the first look, it may not be core, but you kind of you kind of have to get those thoughts, organize it, and then be able to look at it through a lens of a powerful thesis to understand if it's signal or noise. Uh, we had a great one in electronic arts that I think, uh, I think people will, probably figure out what's wrong with this kind of quickly. Um, so here it goes. This was 2012. Electronic Arts, a video game publisher, is in the midst of an effort to transform and turn around itself with the leadership from a 2009 CEO changeout. We think the noble effort will fall well short. Business will be hurt by a dramatic shift in online gaming. The future will be far different than the 19... And then I go on to provide, I think, six different reasons. Mm -hmm. Six different reasons. And this was what Dan calls an overstuffed thesis. <laughs> and, you know, because it was so fat, it lacked 
um, it lacked confidence and it missed the important thing, Bryn. I'm, I'm, I'm still kicking myself because basically the, the real question is, this is a turnaround. Is it going to work or not? I got, I got myself into all of these subtle, et cetera. And why it's sad is because turnarounds have been uh, historically one of our power alleys. Right. And this one, I totally messed up. Um, so that was a lot of fun. But Well, like you said, it just made it harder, harder on yourself. It made it harder to see something that then I could have focused on and said, let me take all my tools of turnaround and kind of throw this other stuff out, out of the way. And I remember you know, watching the stock do well. And it, and, and I was just kind of a doubting Thomas because I thought everyone didn't get the, all these other elements. When in fact, I didn't get what was basically important. Mm. Then there's Netflix. And this is 2015. And this is an example, Bryn, of uh, developing an initial draft and then steadily pulling that into something. We develop an initial draft so everyone in the team can participate and think and we understand it's an initial draft and it's got to get tighter, but it gives us something in our process to keep fine tuning. Yeah. Usually in the first round of work, you, you throw up there a best working thesis just to get yeah. started. And this was a, a little uh, ways on. And, you know, I'm just looking at now Netflix, a video subscription service and emerging entertainment platform will be a primary beneficiary of the dramatic shift humans are making towards watching professional video according to their own schedule not one set by the cable company. The shift is accelerating. Netflix will continue to grow and on and on and on. It was probably, I don't know, the first one's maybe 175 words just to get ourselves going. What then we got to, and this took a while, probably if I had to guess, probably a month of additional thinking and work. And it came to uh, Netflix, a video subscription service is the archetypical over the top video company. We suspect that online video consumption habits have reached the critical juncture where it starts to meaningfully steal time and therefore eyeballs from linear TV programming. Netflix has now reached sufficient scale that it can begin to exercise the leverage that it has built over both supply and demand. Between the draft and the non-draft, we got rid of some speculation about advertising. You know, there's some view about own versus license content. There was some thinking about pricing power and those all are really important things, but the most vital things we skinned it down to. And actually we called it, our slogan then was um, in the tradition because they had totally changed their business model. For those that don't quite remember that they used to mail you discs, but it was called a renovated house of cards. I love the slogans. <laughs> you did like the slogans. <laughs> And I think, Bryn, you, one of your favorite parts of this process was informing the, the next level of research, both the predetermined game plans and the subcomponents of the thesis. Yeah, as you said, it's it's just not a static thing. So um, it was it, the thesis, we, we would work on it quite a lot, but it was never meant to be something that wouldn't change. Um, and it's amazing when you go back and see some of them, like, like the Netflix and the Google, that's those, you know, they, as they get more refined, it's interesting how they um, stood the test of time and um, when there was more and when it was um, deeper into the weeds, it actually was a muddier thesis and more likely to steer us wrong. I like that Confucian expression to gain knowledge, add one thing each day and to write an investment thesis, subtract one thing each day. Yeah. They were really onto something. <laughs> 
So you can see how we kept refining the process just by digging up and looking back at old versions of our best work at the time. And it's strange sometimes not only to see how much you've grown, that's, that's great, sometimes a little embarrassing, but mostly great, uh, but also getting that distance from the work makes it so much easier to then turn around, take another look, and see exactly what was getting in your way. Like I love how Dan has those terms like an overstuffed thesis or you know, an, um, a thesis that doesn't believe in itself, it's not confident in itself. So I hope you have some fun with that. Thanks for listening.